Welcome to Winning Slowly, a podcast about culture, technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Stephen Caradini. And I'm Chris Kreitschow. And today we're going to talk about how a mission can get into an organization's bones. We're going to talk about this from the technology side, looking at some of the largest tech companies and how they can't do anything except that thing that they thought they were going to do in the first place. And then we're also going to look at some religious aspects of it and how some denominations, um, Christian denominations, can't do anything but the thing they thought they were going to do in the first place. And how this has effects on um, how they view themselves and how other people view them and how those perceptions change or don't change. In short, we're actually going to talk about, well, culture, technology, religion, some ethics. Maybe some ethics in there and Even probably a little, a little bit of art. A little bit of art. A little bit of art. We're actually This gonna, is the quintessential winning slowly episode. It's going to be really interesting. And this is also a special occasion. Chris and I are actually podcasting at the same time in the same place. We often have a distance between us. And so we're doing a rare live recording. <laughs> so and there's a very good chance this may also be the last episode of season zero. So it's kind of a celebration all around. So we got talking about this a few weeks ago because, actually right after last week's podcast, because we were thinking about how different companies behave and how, when you get right down to it, some companies just can't seem to change their gut approach to things. For example, Google+, Plus, it's been in the news recently, is basically going away now. I mean, it's probably going to still exist, but Google's been moving engineers off of it like crazy and defocusing it and all of this. And we started thinking out loud about how, well, this is Google's third, third. major attempt at social media stuff. You had Orcut, which still lives on in Brazil. Woohoo! You had Wave. Wave. <laughs> which no one even knows what that was. <laughs> it was it was a thing. And or maybe it was a thing. <laughs> it might have been a thing. We can't get much more specific than that. <laughs> and then there was Google Plus, which was Google in social everywhere. And and none of these have actually gotten a lot of traction or worked particularly well. But that's not a surprise in some sense because Google isn't really a people company. It's really a data company, and no matter what else it seems to do, it's really all about data. And I think they used to have the motto, we organize the internet's data or something like that, like I don't ages ago. Somebody I don't had that, remember. and I think it was them. Mm -hmm. Everything they do is constantly data-driven. I mean, this is the company that famously AB tested 43 shades of blue for the links on their search page. Which was working out pretty well for them <laughs> at the moment, so... But they're a data company. But they're a data company. On the other hand, there's Facebook, which is just a social company. And the there are whole lists of things that Facebook has tried to get themselves out of just a social company and into um, being a business. And there are a whole list of things that fail. <laughs> and they're the same list. It's, it's just, yeah, they're pretty much the same list. It's just really, really kind of ridiculous how uh, unfocused and unable to capitalize on some of these ideas Facebook is because Facebook's a social company and that's what they do. They just can't move out of this sort of realm. And the same thing with Apple. Um, Apple is a design company. Um, they design hardware, they design software. Um, although I don't think that iTunes has been designed in a very, <laughs> very long time. But True that. But other than iTunes, they're a design company. And so 
It's really interesting to see them try to move into social with Ping, which was a disaster. You might have heard of it, but probably not, actually. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's just they're, they're a design company, and that's what they do. And so it's we were thinking about this particularly in relation to how the rumors swirling about um, iTunes buying of Beats, which on its face seems kind of weird, um, seems like buying a competitor or buying a service that might become a competitor. But if you step back and look at what they're doing, you know, it's it's really one design company buying another sort of design company. Um, their Beats has this particular physical design that's kind of iconic at this point. Um, and so iTunes said, oh, that's a design company that does hardware. We are also a design company that does hardware. <laughs> The uh, the really interesting thing about this to us was that try as they made these companies just can't to take the the modern business jargon they just can't seem to pivot mm-hmm. they are who they are and yep. some of them embrace that more than others Apple seems at least since the return of Steve Jobs in the late nineties to have just wholeheartedly embraced its identity and that's worked really well for it mm-hmm. whether Google will ever just figure out that it's a data company and just get awesome at data who knows. Mm. But part of it is that it's really, really hard. You know, we, we're not saying this to make fun of these companies or to poke at them. What we're getting at really is that what you define yourself as, as an institution, and this is where we want to go with the rest of the episode, what you define yourself as institutionally gets deep down into the core of your institution and it makes it very, very hard to change direction. And so how you define yourself when you're a company of two or five or 200, by the time you're Apple or Google or Facebook scale with hundreds and hundreds, thousands of employees, these things don't change easily. And this is a phenomenon that's not limited to tech companies. This is really a phenomenon that applies to institutions of all of all stripes, whether that be government, religion, uh, education, education, arts, everything behaves this way once right. you get to a certain size and have a certain amount of history. And there's some reason for this, because to get to that size, you have to have a clear focus mm-hmm. and you have to be able to say, this is our business proposition, this is our value proposition, this is our identity that will get us past our competitors. And so having that hyper-focused sort of idea um, is what gets you past competitors and what gets you to be Facebook instead of Friendster yep. or MySpace or these other things that... <laughs> Friendster. Know, Friendster. I went there. Um, I never had a Friendster account. But on the flip side, a company like Yahoo, which has no core identity... Mm-hmm. They, In fact, that's arguably its chief problem is that yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. And so it's it's the prime example of a company that without a core proposition, doesn't have a lot going for it. Yes, Yahoo has several you know, properties that are really strong, like, like Flickr and some other... Tumblr now. Uh, Tumblr now, yeah, and some other properties that are really working very well. But they still don't coalesce into one idea that says, this is Yahoo. Um, Google is data. Apple is design. Facebook is social. Yahoo is... A yodel. A yodel. <laughs> so it's it's not just that this is a bad thing that it gets down into the bones. It's a good thing that it gets people past, you know, their competitors and gives people an understanding of what this company is about or what this organization is about. And so where does that um, kind of codification, that kind of, um, you know, strat- not stratification, but kind of that lockdown of this is who we are, 
start to become a problem? And right. where does it start to become helpful? Right. And we've been talking also for months now about observations I've made over the last year and that correspond with things Stephen and I have actually been talking about for half a decade and more. Mm. Namely, that different denominations of Christians have very, very different approaches to culture. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for example, there's sort of a, a scale. If you look on one end, you'll have Catholics and Anglicans, which have very, very close engagement with culture. They have a very historied engagement with, and by culture here, I'm speaking kind of the arts and Politics, politics, culture yeah. building, cult, you know, to borrow Andy Crouch's term, culture making. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other end, far end of the spectrum, you have the Baptists and other groups influenced by Anabaptists, mm -hmm. which have, not to put too fine a point on it, but very nearly or sometimes actually, an, I, I don't want to say anti-cultural, but that's they remove themselves. They remove themselves and they tend to stand against culture. Yes. Uh, and then you have groups in the middle. Presbyterians have a very high view of the idea of engaging with culture and redeeming culture. You'll hear that talk around Presbyterians a mm -hmm. lot. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, if you look at that same spectrum, you'll see very, very different approaches to and engagement with uh, missionary ministry. So... Baptists as a group are one of the most actively engaged missionary groups in the world. They have some Southern Baptists have one of the largest, if I think the largest missionary agency of any sort in the world. They have some of the largest relief agencies in the world. On the other hand, the, Bap the Presbyterians get made fun of for being the frozen chosen <laughs> because they just figure if you're going to get in, you're going to get in anyway. We don't really have to work on this too much. <laughs> And, and so you have these core priorities that have been there in these traditions for a long time, much longer than Google or Facebook have been around. Right. <laughs> and an order of magnitude longer than they've been around. Right. And two in the case of some of them. Right. Uh, and as much as people have advocated for change in and across these various denominations, I mean, you can't throw a stick in the Christian blogosphere without finding somebody critiquing the broadly Baptistic evangelical movement for its generally utilitarian approach to the arts, mm. but it's not changing. And I think yeah. a big part of that is because deep down in its bones, right. broadly Baptistic Christians see mission in the sense of gospel telling as mm. the core essential central element of their identity. And that's a really good thing in a mm. lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It means, on the other hand, that they tend to reduce everything else to means to that end. Right. And there have been pushes back and forth on whether or not this works within various cultures. So mm -hmm. in, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, like this was a thing that worked in a lot of different cultures because of a lot of different demographic and sociological trends that were going on in that period of time. In the 90s and early 2000s and now, that's that sort of like everything utilitarianly pointed towards the end of a conversion doesn't hold that same sway in American culture, but has sway in other cultures. And so that's another thing that we could spend mm -hmm. a whole other <laughs> podcast on talking about how various cultures respond to the same message in a variety of different mm -hmm. ways. Because of um, history and sociology and all sorts of problems. All of those sorts of things. And so um, it's not just that this is a bad thing or this is a good thing. Uh -huh. Um, it's that this is a thing 
that gets applied wherever. Like, whether it's good or bad in whatever culture mm-hmm. it's applied to, it just gets applied. Um, in the same way that um, Facebook turns everything into a social thing. <laughs> Which is why everyone freaked out when they bought Every, Oculus Rift. Everything. Into You're going to turn my 3D virtual reality into a social media platform! Oh my gosh. It, so since Facebook tries to turn everything into social and Google tries to turn everything into data, um, there are denominations of Christians that try to turn everything into this particular thing. Um, whereas, you know, they're like Nazarenes are very, very good at community building and everything turns into serving the community <laughs> and being community builders. And that's really appealing to a variety of, mm-hmm. um, you know, people who are, you know, in and outside the Christian community. And so it's a really interesting thing that when these communities try to, to shift and we're not talking, you know, liberal or, or conservative shifting here. That's a different type of shift altogether. We're just talking about in, inside the church when they try to do different things as a denomination. Um, there's a, a lot of resistance because Mm -hmm. this is the way we've done this. Um, (laughs) but there's, but there's also a lot of, of general confusion and why would we want to do this? Mm -hmm. Like other people do that thing and we don't want to be them. So, so, so there's a lot of give and take as Mm -hmm. to why, you know, some organizations seem very set in their ways. Some of them just say, yeah, everybody else is wrong and therefore we are right. (laughs) But there's a lot more play going on than just saying like, Hey, you know, the, uh, the people, the guys down on the corner, they, they actually have a a food pantry every, every Sunday. We kind of don't need to do that. (laughs) And that, and that sort of thing is part of that too. That, that sort of thing broadly applied Mm -hmm. is, is part of the reason that in denominations, things don't change that often. Mm -hmm. Now in the tech world, it gets, kind of confusing because they would like to encroach on each other's <laughs> Sunday food pantry um, with Sunday being all the time and food being money. <laughs> that would, they would like to encroach on that. What this highlights is the reality that uh, as much as we Americans tend to think in highly individualistic terms and, and highly stratified yeah. binary terms. And that's true broadly of Western culture as, as well as American specifically. We deal in institutional realities, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether we want to admit it and whether we want to deal with it or not, we're always engaging with institutions and Mm -hmm. institutions are strange in that even when, even when arguably a majority of the people, even a super majority, even almost everyone in an institution might say, yeah, we want to do something differently. Yeah, we'd like to drink, please. (laughs) (laughs) Baptists. Oh, Baptists. Uh... Even when, you know, Presbyterians should might at some point say, if if they should come around to saying, look, we really want to do a better job of sending missionaries much more aggressively like the Baptists do. Or the Baptists all came around and said, we really want to do a better job of making good art because we recognize that as a genuine good on its own merits. Without trying to sell anything. Right. Right. it would be very difficult to do so because institutions have these deep-seated cultural realities that take a long time to change. Right. So there's a book I've been telling Stephen he needs to read for years called To Change the World. We'll put a link to this. It's true. It, and I have skimmed a large part of it. <laughs> but that's not reading, kids. Don't let them tell you otherwise. Unless you're in grad school. Unless you're in grad school. <laughs> let them tell you otherwise in grad school. But uh, the author... 
James Davison Hunter makes the this argument that for Christians, if you want to make a difference in the large structures of society, and he goes out of his way to point out that politics is only one of those structures, and one of the problems we've all had in the last half century is a tendency toward reductionism where all our solutions are political or economic. And, and so, I mean, and he means all in, like, all, all. Right. Like not just... Not just Christians, Christians but everybody. But like, all, all. <laughs> and he notes that when you try to make these changes on the short-term scales, and when you try to make them in certain ways, including politicizing everything, you're inevitably going to fail because you're not dealing with the institutions that matter. And moreover, you're not grappling with the reality that to set these kinds of changes in motion may take hard work for two decades that only pays off another hundred years later. Because institutions on the scale of a culture, of a society, even of a denomination or a governmental approach to things, mm -hmm. or even a tech company, mm -hmm. they don't move fast. You can't turn the Titanic away from that, that iceberg at some point, even if you want to, because it's just such a big boat. I feel for you, Marissa Meyer. <laughs> I feel for you. I really do. Marissa Meyer, for those who don't catch the in reference, being the CEO who took over Yahoo and is trying really hard to turn that boat really, really hard. It's like, it's it's like turning the whole country of Luxembourg. <laughs> <laughs> I think it has right. about the same GDP. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, so. So there really are reasons other than just like rawr, <laughs> that that institutions have trouble changing and is rawr a technical term for it's, fundamentalism it's, it's a very technical term <laughs> yes yeah we're putting the fun in fundamentalism <laughs> um yeah or the mental uh well <laughs> there's that too uh, but there really are these these reasons um and so it, i both chris and i were interested in this idea that even though it looks like you know Baptists are just abstaining from drinking because they always did, um, and because they're trying to be mean, um, <laughs> or Presbyterians don't send as many missionaries as the Baptists, um, or Facebook keeps trying desperately to make money off of things other than ads, <laughs> these things aren't just like futile like shots from Three Point Land. They really are the cause of a variety of effects that if we step back and look at our own institutions, the ones that we're in, mm -hmm. um, although there are an astounding number of people who are opting out of institutions altogether, which we'll talk about some other time. <laughs> uh, but if we step back and look at the institutions that we're in, a lot of the things that make our institutions unique and make our institutions stable and whole have those built in mm -hmm. stabilizers, mm -hmm. have those built in like things that don't change. And in a time where a lot of things change, i.e. the internet appears, <laughs> a lot of those things get, get pushed on. And that's not just in tech companies or in um, you know, denominations, but in institutions like the Boy Scouts or right. institutions like the NBA or like the um, New York Times. The New York Times. Like yeah. all of these these institutional stabilizers are getting pressured, um, not just by the internet, but that's mm -hmm. something that is you know, been a social mover over the past 20 years um, that has started to push on and change people's opinions so that people do push on mm -hmm. some of these stabilizers. And that's um, kind of an interesting thing because we I, I'm always hesitant to say, like, we're living in the most important time in history. <laughs> Everything is important because we're living it. Uh, but there really are some aspects of our culture 
right now that are somewhat transformative unique. shifts. Yeah. yeah, transformative shifts. Um, I mean, the the last major transformative shift of this magnitude was either the um, electricity, the railroad, or the printing press, whichever you would like to choose. <laughs> um, there have been a few revolutions, but <laughs> um, those are biggies. Um, and so, so it's it's. I, I think what we're trying to get at here is that there are some organizations that are just stodgy for the sake of being stodgy. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of organizations that are simply just doing what they always did mm -hmm. with their internal stabilizers, um, and their, with their internal functioning, mm -hmm. their main mission, and that just gets pushed on in a time of, of social change mm -hmm. and transformative issues. And yet those pushes may or may not you know, have any visible effects for a long time. Even when they're really good pushes, and even when they do start affecting the course of a company or a denomination or a government, those shifts are going to take time. And mm -hmm. to bring us right home, we have to be willing to make those long-term deep investments if we want to see institutions change. Sure, right. you might be able to see rapid, speedy change in some areas because of the advent of the internet or because of you know, whatever innovation is around the corner. Or a law gets changed quickly or something like that. Right. But those are not going to be long-term transformative effects unless... Well, they may be, but you can't tell right away. Right. And moreover, the things that tend to have the longest term transformative effects are often quiet, subtle things in the background. They're people investing their lives in academia, training generation after generation after generation of scholars mm -hmm. in a given field mm -hmm. whose work slowly percolates out into public, con right. public consciousness. They're people who... Which, 30 years later, might be a law changing. Right. Right. When then everything seems to change automatically in a day. Right. Those things don't happen overnight. They, don't they just overnight. look like they happen overnight. Yes. yes. And so for us, we want to exhort, especially our fellow Christians, but really everyone who might be listening. In an, in an organization. So if you're right. in an organization or have been or plan on being in the future. <laughs> Which is all humans everywhere all the time because that's how we work. Yeah. <laughs> Take that long-term look and recognize that sometimes that quiet toiling in the trenches is what will produce fruit. You may not see it in your tenure. Frankly, you may not see it in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. But that's just how institutions work. And if the change is worth making, it's worth that long, quiet toil for. Yeah. And if you're going to get something out of the organization's bones, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot mm -hmm. of time. But it can happen. History says so. We say so. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 14 of Winning Slowly, season zero. Uh, the opening song is uh, Sandbridge by Will Copps and Brittany Jean. You can find us on social media, Winning Slowly on Twitter, app.net, and Facebook. All of our content is licensed under a Creative Commons share-like uh, attribution, so feel free to chop it up, not share-like. Um, the, the most open of them. Feel free to chop it up, uh, mix it, remix it, use it. Um, just don't take it wholesale and say that you did it because you didn't. Until next time, which will hopefully be season one, episode one. Woo! I've been Chris Kreitcho. And I am and will be Stephen Caradini. Thanks for listening. <laughs>